Well, we are now in in a four-part series of examining what Jesus taught his disciples about how people should pray. To whom do we direct our prayers? What should we ask him to be doing for us? What about our priorities? What about priorities in general? What is the first thing that we need to request? And in what areas of our lives do we need his help in order to have a closer relationship with him and with each other? Prayer consists of all of these. How do we go about this? Well, last week we discovered that our prayers need to be directed to God as the perfect Father. We do this because he is perfect love. He shows us his love through his mercy to sinners, such as we are. Now, this week, we look at what Jesus said is to be our very first petition or request. And in Elizabethan English, this is hallowed be thy name. But what does this mean? Well, we have a sense that it has something to do with holiness. But what are we to do about this? What should we do about this particular request? Why should we even pray about this? Because of course God is holy. So what does Jesus mean when he says, this is our first and most important request? Well, I think the literal translation of of the scripture from the gospel sheds a little bit of insight into this. Literally, he taught us to pray, it must be made holy, the name of thee. So what is being said by this is someone who is not God must be making his name holy. That solves one problem because God is holy. There's no arguing about that. It doesn't even have to be prayed about. So what that means is that each and every one of us who is a disciple of Jesus should be living in such a way that we recognize his holiness. When we pray this prayer, we must realize that of highest importance is that we are asking this perfect father whom we are addressing to help us so that we are always living in awe, absolute awe of him and always being aware of his power and his presence in his life. In fact, when I'm not rushing through the prayer in my private devotionals, I really expand upon this particular phrase in this way. And then we also must be grateful for his holiness. Now, our passage from the beginning of Luke's gospel 
of Jesus teaches us this truth in Mary's song of praise and great gratitude to her Lord and Savior as she has just visited her cousin Elizabeth, who's about five months along with John the Baptist, and Jesus had just been conceived in her. So Mary starts with her own circumstances that God has conceived his son in her by the Holy Spirit. Then as she reflects on God's holiness and his goodness to her as an individual, she then expands things and consider what this God does for the whole world. So taken as a whole, Mary's song shows the effect of God's holiness in both our personal and public lives. In fact, we can say that we can sum up her prayer God's holiness both brings down rulers and lifts up those who are humble. Now, I added something during the course of this week, and I hope some of you are actually aware of this, that Mary's song was patterned after the song that Hannah was inspired to pray after Yahweh allowed her to miraculously give birth to Samuel. Samuel was the last man the last human to be a prophet, a priest, and a ruler of God's people all the way up until Jesus came on earth. And and as a good Jewish woman, Mary would have memorized Hannah's prayer. And we'll get to that a little bit at the end. But now let's just focus on the passage we heard. It's the heart of everything this morning and what it means for that first petition, it must be made holy. Your name, O oh God. It's in two parts, as I already said. Mary starts considering the impact on her. She starts personally. She rejoices that her Savior saw her in her lowest state and that the Holy One did great things to her and had mercy out of fear, her fear of him. So we will take this first half and, and, and look at it in the two parts that Mary kind of breaks it down to. She starts saying, my soul is making great the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. So let's kind of take this line by line from Luke 1. And Mary said, now, If you look at the Greek, it matches the Hebrew. Her name is Miriam, Miriam. And it's the same name as Moses and Aaron's sister, whom we meet in Exodus. And then she died just as the people were waiting on the other side of Jordan and getting ready to cross over. They had bypassed Moab. They had taken over the lands. And Miriam was gathered to the Lord. And interestingly, this name means rebellion. And it was confirmed to me Friday. Well, what does she say? This begins her song. My soul is making great the Lord. Now, this 
Uh, making great could also be translated extol or magnify, as the King James and most versions do. And I looked it up, and I'm going to butcher it, okay? I just do not speak Latin, but the word is magnificare. And, of course, throughout most of church history, this particular song has been called the Magnificat because of this first word of Mary, And she continues, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, the Savior of me. So even before, all of her life, and she was young at this time, even before she was called to be the human mother of God's son, Mary knew the joy of having God for her Savior. Yes, people were saved before Jesus took on flesh and blood, and she was one. She continues that he has looked at the lowest state of his woman servant. Lowest state. The word she uses to describe herself can also mean humble or even humiliated. And and as I think about this, I I know I need help in this area. We should not get angry when we feel humiliated. Sometimes it can be good medicine. And understand and remember this, by human standards, there's no reason Mary would have ever been chosen to give birth to God's Messiah. But God gives grace to the humble. Peter and James both quoted this proverb from Solomon. And and it's a powerful proverb, and I looked it up in Young's literal translation. The scorners he doth scorn, yet to the humble he doth give grace. Let's always, always remember that. Mary knew it. And then she goes on to say, all generations will call me blessed because the strong one has done great things um, to me. Great things to me. His name is holy. Okay? So Mary is already proclaiming uh, what Jesus would later teach his people to pray as the first request. Mary comes around and says, his name is holy. She says, behold, from now on, all generations will call me uh, blessed, blessed. This verb, blessed, is the same as the noun that Jesus used in the Beatitudes. Blessed are these, and he goes on and on eight times. The strong one has done great things to me. Now, mighty is one way this can be translated, and it also means powerful. And now hear this. This was something I just learned this week. I'm I'm going to say it, but let it sink in. To be truly strong and mighty as God can make us that means that we are able to bear calamities, with courage. You know, that's challenging. Sometimes when things fall apart, I fall apart too. But if we have the strength of God in us through Jesus, we can bear calamities with courage. That's what Mary's saying. And notice how personal she gets here. 
about herself. She's aware that the son she will bear, he will impact all people at all times. But right here, right now, she is processing what the almighty God has done to her. And then here is the heart of it. Here's why we're in this passage this morning. It has all to do with the first petition Jesus taught us to pray. She says, and holy is his name. What is holiness? Well, uh, I got all of this out of the theological word dictionary of the New Testament, okay? And it takes into account this word holy going all the way back to Genesis. And it is an expression of the perfection of God and how he is also set apart over and above his creation, not only inanimate, but also his final greatest creation, human beings. God's character is perfectly pure. And then there's some awesome things about his holiness in Isaiah. It causes awe, even to prophets. Remember when Isaiah was called in the temple, he had a sense of God's holy presence and his need for cleansing. In fact, the song we sang, holy, 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 that's what the angels were singing over the ark in the temple when Isaiah was there. And then please do yourself a favor and read Isaiah 45, 11 and following sometime this week. I put a lot of it on the back of your bulletins if you're here this morning. But the Holy One of Israel... He doesn't hold it over us and and despise us because we aren't holy. No, he saves. He saves idolaters even so that they will be found righteous in him. I just remember now, John Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. God knows that. But because of his holiness, he saves us so that we can be righteous in him. And then way in the last book of the Bible, as John was around the throne, he heard all the ones around the throne testifying that the holiness of the Almighty entitles God to receive eternal blessing, honor, glory, and might. That's just a quick survey of the holiness of God. But he's mighty and is holy, and the mighty one, in fact, is holy. That's the heart of what Mary is saying in her song. And then the last line that Mary has in the first half, and we'll get to the second half when she goes beyond her personal situation, she says his mercy is to generations and generations to those fearing him. So she's now transitioning. She fears God, and she's about to open it up to everybody His mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is compassion that moves to action. And again, hear me. When God sent his son to earth as a human, in order that humanity might be reconciled to him, this was the greatest act of mercy ever. There is nothing more merciful than the giving of Jesus Christ. 
And then she uses this poetic phrase from generation to generation, meaning always and forever to those fearing him. Again, we can go right back to Isaiah. Think about Isaiah and the fear he experienced in the temple as he saw the angels of the three-time holy God. He saw the glory of God exalted in the temple. This is the fear that leads to faith in the awesomely holy God. Put that all together, fear leading to faith in the awesome and holy God. And now Mary expands it out and says her Savior God has done mightily in scattering rulers with arrogant hearts and exalting the humble. So again, there's, there's two parts to this, and it all goes kind of rapidly. She starts by describing the Lord's strength to take rulers off of their thrones and exalt the humble. So I love this as she puts it. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those arrogant in the imagination of their hearts. Again, God does mighty deeds in his might. And Mary's going to elaborate on these in the rest of her song. And also, uh, I, I thought about this, and this is truly the justice of God, to scatter proud and arrogant people who do harm to humble and lowly people. God is the defender of the poor, the weak, the humble, the lowly. And then Mary says, he's taken down rulers from their thrones and he has exalted those of low rank. So now we go from the personal to the civic, okay? In civil government, the holy, mighty God who saves people has already, she puts this in the past tense, taken down proud rulers, bad rulers, and exalted, humble, and lowly people. And as I thought about this, I didn't have to go any farther than Samuel, who we'll consider his mother in a minute. And the first kings of Israel, remember when the people said, we have to have a king. God directed Samuel to make Saul the king. He started humble, and then he just became disobedient, proud, wicked. God said, you can't be king anymore. God brought down Saul, and he ended horribly. He experienced a horrible death. But he lifted up David a humble shepherd who was the eighth of eight sons, the runt of the litter, but God made David to be king in the place of Saul. You see, God's holiness brings down rulers and lifts up the humble. And then Mary's last words. Finally, this is what she says. In his holy strength, God fills the hungry and sends the rich away empty. He's filled to satisfaction with good things, those who are being hungry. And those who are being rich, he sent off empty. So again, going between 
nations and, and civil governments down to people. And within nations, God deals with individuals according to both his justice and his mercy. He has compassion on those who are humble and needy. But he executes justice against those who are continually proud and oppressive in their lust for worldly wealth. God's holiness brings down rulers and lifts up the humble. Well, I'm going to uh, flip back here for a moment to 1 Samuel 2. And I will admit that I examined it from the Greek translation to find words that are similar. I'm not going to go into all the reasons for that or anything. But I, I hope you remember the story of Hannah. She was one of two wives, and the other wife was popping out babies and sons every year, and she didn't have any sons, and she was in distress. And the priest Eli thought she was drunk and everything, and when he found out her sincerity, he said, may the Lord answer your prayer. And God gave her a son, and before she even conceived, she said, I will dedicate this son fully to the Lord. And when Samuel was weaned, she brought him to Eli. And the rest is history. And this is what Hannah prayed as she handed her son Samuel over to the Lord and to Eli. It says, and Hannah said, well, the name is actually Hannah, which means grace. Grace is everywhere today. And then she says, my heart has been strengthened in the Lord. My horn has been lifted up in my God. My tongue has been enlarged over my enemies. Again, it all has to do with our heart and what's inside of us. But understand this, if you didn't know, horn in scripture always symbolizes strength. Think of a ram's horn and how it can butt and knock over anything. And they would actually call people to worship with a ram's horn. And these three verbs are all passive, meaning it is God who strengthens Hannah's heart. It is God who lifted her up to speak words of praise to him. And also God gave her words to overcome her enemies. And I think even without words, God was able to exalt her above the rival wife. Now it gets really fun. I have rejoiced in thy salvation. Here Hannah addresses her God and expresses joy in his salvation of her by allowing her to bear a son. Mary expressed the very same joy to God in her prayer. And then Hannah continues, because there is none holy as our God. There is none righteous as our God. There is none holy except thee. Two times Hannah uses the word holy. First, she declares that only God is purely holy. And then she addresses him as the only holy one. Now, I I don't want to do any comparing. I'm not trying to say one is better than the other. But um, Mary declared God's holiness, one and done. She was done with it. 
But Hannah seemingly went even further, at least the way I understand this. And now Hannah gets like Mary again. She was talking about her and God, and now she says, you all must not be boasting, and you all must not be speaking high things because God of knowledge is Lord in Greek without the article, which is using his proper name, Yahweh. And God is making ready his pursuits. The bow of the strong one was weak. And those being weak have been made ready in strength. Again, these reversals, these civic reversals, but it starts with no pride. Nobody should ever be boasting in pride before the God of Israel because he knows everything about everyone. And it was Mary later who would pick up on this civic reversal that Hannah's describing here. When God makes strong men with weapons, to be weak. So as we're praying about the world situation now in these evil totalitarian people, we can pray with the words of Hannah and Mary and this truth about God, he will ultimately bring down these evil strong men while making those who are weak to be strong when they need strength. Again, Mary picked up on this. Then Hannah continues, the ones full of bread have been brought low and those hungering have ceased to hunger in the land. Mary also spoke about this. Then she goes on finally, Lord Yahweh is making poor and making rich. He's making humble and exalting. He's lifting up the poor from the earth and raising the beggar from the ash heap. Let us never forget this. The three-in-one God, Yahweh, he is in control. No matter what we may see with our human eyes, it is God who decides who to humble and who to exalt. And in his holiness, he will overrule human systems run by powerful elite who are oppressing and at the expense of ordinary everyday people. God's holiness brings down rulers and lifts up the humble. And then Hannah concludes with this wonderfully gracious truth that the holy God is lifting up the poor and raising the beggar from the ashes. And that very same word, ash heap, is in my NIV translation of the Hebrew. So in conclusion, as Jesus is teaching about prayer, he teaches that the very first request of the children of Father God they must ask him is that they will always be aware of his holy power and his presence in their lives. It must be made holy in the name of thee. That's our responsibility by God's grace. And we must also recognize that he will scatter proud and arrogant rulers, but lift up and provide for all who are aware of their low position before him and his holiness. God is the God of reversals and justice and love and mercy. God's holiness brings down proud rulers and lifts up poor and humble people.
people.